loving you. <coughs> Always with a love that's true. Always. La da 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 dee, la da 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 la da 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 la da la da. And so sings the solitary soul of man. La da 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 la do, la da 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 la Keeping himself company as he trods his solitary way along the yellow brick road to oblivion. Do you realize that there are many people whose entire year pivots around this weekend? This is a fact. No, if you could imagine the world as a kind of punching bag, uh, a punching bag that hits back. And I might point out a punching bag that inevitably wins. And it's juiced with poor, poor, simple, and very weak and ineffectual mankind. If you can imagine the world as a juicing bag, a kind of a, a globular, uh, pear-shaped juicing bag, there are too many people many evidences to prove that the world is is attached to this particular day. This is the day that it hangs to the ceiling by. This is the day upon which it pivots. Not the day, really, but this whole weekend. For example, there was... Well, the boss here, before he left Friday, looked into my poor old rubble-filled office and said, This is, uh, I understand, a mystical weekend for you. <laughs> well, what I mean is that this is the epitome of summer. That after July 4th, it's all downhill. I mean, isn't it sad when you think about it that, that I'm walking along Fifth Avenue and I go into a store and I say, well, I, I, want, a, I want a bathing suit. And the guy says, well, we don't have any more bathing suits. And I said, well, it isn't even July yet. He says, we are laying in our spring clothing. And, and it's getting to the point now where a man can live his entire life in about twelve and a half minutes. I mean, by the great department store planning method. And I said, well, 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 it's, look, look, it's, there's a summer shower out there, man. There, there are garlands of, of, of roses in everyone's hair. This is not for long. They are living in a fool's paradise. And I couldn't do anything but take my charge of plate and go back out onto Fifth Avenue with that, that hot, steaming, that, that primeval rain that came beating down. I walked four or five more stores, and I, I went into another one, and the guy says, uh, 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 no, no. We are already laying in next summer's clothing, and we're not ready to unveil them yet. And so already the plans are being made. I, I have no doubt, I really, I, I, I think, I suspect very strongly that this is man's bid for immortality. Hello, 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 there we go. I suspect that this is one of man's ways of ensuring that he will make it, that he will be around. I really believe it. I believe, I believe that the more we plan into the future, the more secure we feel about being in the future. That, that, 
I'm quite positive that there must be someplace, somewhere, somebody who's working on a set of blueprints at a, at a drawing board in some fantasy office. A, a drawing board that, that is laying out some plans for the year 2000, and they're seriously working on it. And, and nobody in the office, uh, you know, nobody really seriously thinks he won't be there, nor seriously thinks he will be there. But it's a kind of bid, you know. <laughs> and so all up and down the street, everyone is bidding for fall already. All up and down the street, they are living well into, well into midwinter. Up and down the great clothing marts, every place you go, that they're already living this time. I'll be loving you always. With a love that's true always. And, and a kid wrote me a letter. He says, Shepherd, I was listening to your program and I was caught under your spell. And then five minutes after your show was over, I walked out into the sunshine and I realized that the world isn't the way you say it is. That's right, son. You are absolutely right. The world isn't the way anybody says it is for everybody. And therein lies the rub. The world is not the way it is to each one of us, I have no idea what the world is to you. And I'm sure you have no real idea of what the world is to me. That, that these, these billions of eyes that are constantly looking over this long, spreading green globe, there's no, there's no correlating. There's no integrating. There is no, uh, what is the other teacher's college? There were three words that were very important in teacher's college. A correlation, integration, and... Uh, Correlate, to integrate, to uh, evaluate. That's it. <laughs> the three catchphrases of the sociologist. Correlate, integrate, and evaluate. And how are you doing at evaluation these days? I'll be loving you. Oh, it's, it's, it's July weekend. And you know, I'm coming, I'm coming along 7th Avenue, not more than 15, 20 minutes ago, and I can feel that electric tension in the air. That, that, that wonderful dreamlike quality that, that is in the air that, that says a, a kind of go, you know. It, it hangs as a, as a deep fog over everyone. And some walk right through it and never know that it's there. Others just breathe it in and breathe it out, just in and out, in and out. But it's always there. You know, speaking of always there, last night I was near a TV set and I was watching an old movie on the late, 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 late movie. I mean the real late movies. And it was a movie of World War II starring Wallace Beery. Did you see that? Well, did you also see the changing attitudes? Uh, the, the attitude, I wonder, here's what I wondered when I watched that picture. This picture was shot right in the middle of World War II. And it was shot about the Japanese War. It was about a, it was about a sergeant who was a Marine sergeant in the Philippines. And he was, he was talking, of course the whole thing was about the coming war. It was uh, supposedly taking place just before Pearl Harbor. And the old Marine was retiring from the Marine service. And what fascinated me was the things that were being said, the attitudes towards Oh, such things as peace and pacifism and brotherly love and all this, this, uh, all the, all the dream things that we as man <laughs> constantly trot out every five minutes whenever it happens to be 
whenever it happens to be, uh, well, let's say, uh, convenient. You know, it's, to me, it seems like we, we live a, a great deal of our lives in a, in a kind of a dream state where uh, what we think we are is not at all what we are. That, uh, as a matter of fact, it's, it's often been said that, you know, when you hear the return to normalcy, when you hear about normal living, well, I, 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 you, you ought to really seriously ask a question once of yourself. Do you think normal living is peaceful living or wartime living? Now, this is, that's a serious question. Do you think it is more... Hello, hello, hello. What's the matter there? Now I'm cut off, Don. Hello, hello, hello. What's your that? Hello, hello, hello. Well, okay. I'm cut off now. Hello, hello. There we go. Hello. Hello, hello. There. <laughs> i got to have them. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, I work my way. You work yours. But uh, it's a it's a very interesting thing to me to see that uh, in some cases uh, people were much more at at uh, I'm afraid at their normal level of living during war than they are during peace. There is a great unrest that exists during peace, and let me tell you, there are some fantastic signs, and I'm going to say it right here, even though it's Saturday morning, that that if you look at the paper very carefully. The little items, not the big items, the little items. There is a profound unrest that is running through the world that is not, I don't know, I don't know whether it's good or bad or whether it's, uh, whether, uh, who knows, you see. You, you cannot cast forward into history. For example, it was unheard of for maybe 18,000 years for a group of high school seniors to boo their principal when they were graduating from from high school now now this is this is an interesting this is an interesting thing uh, it seems to me that there is rampant in the air a kind of uncontrolled rebellion now i don't mean i don't mean uh, see i'm i'm not uh, i'm i'm certainly not for uh, anti uh, let's say uh, for for conformism uh, on uh, on 15,000 levels, I'm against conformism of any kind. But, on the other hand, we, we cannot confuse nonconformism with anarchism. That's, a, that's another thing entirely. And it's fascinating to me to see that on all sides, everywhere you look, all sides, there is a little, there is developing a kind of, a kind of fuse that, that seems to be already lighted. That all it, all it takes, I think, and I suspect this, all it will take one day uh, among the youth of today, I'm talking about the very youthful youth of today, all it will take will be some guy to leap up who has, quote, a plan. And the next thing you know, we, <laughs> we are Nellie by the door, and particularly if more things, more pressures are exerted on America from outside our borders. All it will take will be some guy, because this is the same sort of anarchism that was breaking out all over Germany in the very early 1920s, among the very young people. A kind of, uh, let's march, and no one knows where to march. A kind of, let's get angry. You know, it's, it's, it's very important to be angry today. If you're not angry, you're just nowhere. You know? And, and uh, it's, it's a kind of anger that burns like a flame, but has no... No direction at all, just burns, a kind of a kind of profound unrest with life. 
just a, a, a kind of a, a kind of disgruntlement. I mean, how long has it been since you've really been gruntled, man? I mean, you can honestly say, "Gee, I feel awful. This is wonderful. I'm really gruntled today." It's a, <laughs> it's been a long time, and I'm sitting there watching that old Wallace Beery movie, and I realize, you see, that that there was a peculiar kind of exaltation and dedication and involvement that people hardly ever have during peacetime. Sadly enough. Sadly and realistically enough. And the, the interesting changes, the attitudes towards other races that came out in this picture. Now, this is what I wondered. I wondered how many people who never lived through the war, who don't really remember World War II, what they thought of that. Or did they just sit and look? and not even observe that there was a change. And even the people who had lived through the war, as they sat and watched that, what did they do? Just sit and look at it like a kind of a, a, a wartime western with galloping, with, with the, the hero, right? speaking of heroes. This is WOR Radio, your station for news. Grand Union presents a spectacular display of July 4th holiday foods featuring... Whole broilers and fryers, fresh dressed and ready to cook. The Grand Union price, a low, low 29 cents a pound. Only 29 cents a pound, and you save stamps, too. Save cash and stamps on all your July 4th food needs at New York, New Jersey, Grand Union and Sunrise Supermarkets. You are tuned to 710 on your radio dial, WOR 710 and WOR FM in New York. Here once again is Gene Shepard. Are you aware of the fact that there is a Nirvana Street in Great Neck, Long Island? <laughs> I would suggest you look up the word Nirvana. It's a good word. But uh, on the subject of good words, and since this is Saturday, you know, you, uh, there is no question but what it is quite true. Do you have another thing for us in there, Don? Let's, let's clear up the decks here. <laughs> My baby, no, sir, don't mean maybe. I think someday they're going to find us. They're going to find all of us buried there with our shards around us, with our kitchen middens right there next to us, our portable transistorized kitchen middens. Is, uh, do you have a drip-dry life? Is it washable? Uh, is it... Is it uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I didn't want to get too close to your to your problems out there. <laughs> Just hang it up. But uh, speaking of being hung up, everywhere you look, uh, it's. Uh, I, I saw a beautiful vignette. You know, as far as vignettes are concerned, I think you can tell a lot about the. Well, let's say the, the actual animal. All all I try to do <laughs> is to is to see what it's about. You know. Is to, is to try to feel it, to try to to try to live it as much as possible. We're only here, all of us, for just a short time, and as we as we struggle our way through this miasmic fog that we ourselves have created, I, I some people grab at as many things as they can and taste them and walk their way, struggling towards the same abyss. And other guys put little blinders around their eyes, grab a hold of the first thing that they discover when they first begin to discover and hold on to it for dear life all of their life, figuring this is the only way it can be. And uh, there, there, is no, there is no only way. There are billions and billions of ways, just as there are billions and billions of people, and some, some ways that have never even been touched yet. Uh, speaking of touching, 
the, uh, the, the, the thing that I saw, now this, this has to be brought out as a kind of an example of the normal state of man. You can take, who was it who once said that any 30-second period in the life of every man could be taken as the history of all mankind? Well, let me show you this picture. I am standing in the rain on 6th Avenue. If there's anything I really dig, it's 6th Avenue in the rain. I mean, it smells like old shoe leather, old cigar butts, old litter bugs, uh, old records, and old buildings, and everything. Just everything all old and rainy. Let me tell you another thing. There is no street that smells more like Rome in the rain than 6th Avenue. I stood inside the great, vast arched dome of the entranceway to the railroad station in Rome about, what is it, five months ago now? I stood there, it was February or March, and I stood in the entranceway and there was a driving rain just crashing down, a tremendous driving rain, and looking out over the trees. The trees are almost always green in Rome. I've never been in Rome when they weren't. And the old rain is coming down, and I'm standing there with about 5,000 Italians, and we're all jostling one against the other, waiting for the rain to to cool off. And a crowd waiting for a rain to stop in Rome is exactly as a crowd waiting for a rain to stop in the doorways along 6th Avenue and smells exactly alike. There is no difference at all, none whatsoever, if you know 6th Avenue. And so uh, I'm standing there in the, in the entranceway to the railroad station. The old rain is coming down. And, and once in a while, a girl comes in. This is maybe out of, out of every... Has it, has it occurred to you that it seems that when you're walking down the street that the average ratio of women to men is about one woman to every three men. Every three men. Why is this? It, it, it just seems to be. Has it occurred to you this? Of course, it's quite obviously not true. But you see more men around than you see women. And wherever there's a crowd, there seems to be more men. So there were a lot of men standing in the, in the entranceway there, and there were maybe 25 or 30 women, and almost all of them were really women-women, uh, women, you know? They were, they were beautiful chicks. Well, uh, you know how it is. Where the, the crowd of men is, first of all, they're standing there looking up at the sky. Well, then they got tired of looking at gray clouds. Then they watched the rain for a while bang down on the streets. Then they got tired of that. Then they began to look at the women. And the whole crowd begins to sort of mill around. <laughs> the women are gradually edging their way. And one by one, they dart out into the rain. They're going to chance it out there instead of in here. <laughs> And so it, it just went on and on. And the rain is coming down, and, and I'm and I'm. There is a, is a kind of there's a, there's a kind of oh, in a sense, a kind of togetherness that develops because of rain, and at the same time, a kind of apartness. And so I'm standing on Sixth Avenue, up in the 40s, someplace, in the rain. The rain was coming down. It was Thursday, just coming down. A nice kind of soft, easy, warm drizzle. You know the kind where people, you feel like you should have brought an umbrella and yet you didn't and it doesn't make any difference in your sports or anything. It's just it's pleasant, you know. And a guy is wandering across the street, absolutely oblivious of the traffic, a man type. He's just kind of wandering in the middle of the block, just sort of wandering across the street on 6th Avenue. And all the traffic, as you know, 6th Avenue traffic moves in puffs because of the lights and so on. It moves in, in clumps. Well, as he's wandering, he's just about to where I am. He's coming across the street. He's about maybe 20 feet from the curb, and he's still just wandering along there, and the rain is coming down, and a puff of traffic caught up with him. And a cab 
has to stop because he's walking across the street. The cab just sort of slows up and stops. And suddenly the cab driver stuck his head on the window and said, Oh, get out of the street, you bum, for crying out loud. Get your leg broken. All right, all right. And the guy looks up. And he says, What are you talking about, you idiot? Oh, I'm walking across the street. And, and the next thing I know, these two guys are hollering it out there. And the cab has stopped. And the man has <laughs> has stopped, too. And both of them are hollering one at the other. Yeah, out of town, out of town, hillbilly. And it goes on and on like that for about maybe three minutes. I'm just watching this thing develop. And suddenly the guy, the guy who was walking across the street, Looks at his watch in the middle of hollering. He's hollering, or crummy cab driver. And the cab driver's idiot. And he takes a look at his watch, and he he suddenly stops right in the middle of his most vituperative phrase, which I cannot describe to any of you, since there are obviously women and children listening at this hour. Right in the middle of it all, he looks at his watch, and he suddenly stops and he hollers at the cab driver, "Hey, you going east?" And the cab driver says, "Yeah." And with that, the guy jumps in the back of the cab, and they both go off. <laughs> Which I thought was a magnificent moment. It is a pure, there is a capsule, a thumbnail history of all of mankind. That as long as one guy is interfering with another guy, the fist fight is bound to ensue. And it will ensue just as long as that, just as long as neither one of them needs something from the other guy. And the instant that he needs something from the other guy, then it's all peaches and cream. All peaches and cream. They ride, and, and I was wondering, the only thing that bugged me for an hour after that, these guys were really shouting at each other, was what were they saying to each other in the cab as they went east <laughs> off of 6th Avenue? Well, I can warrant you, it was great stuff. I'll bet, because you see, there's nothing that brings guys closer together than a good fist fight. As an example of that, nobody, nobody loved the Japanese more than we did immediately after the war. And, and on and on and on it goes, you see. Nothing brings people closer together. And I might say that the same things that made that fist fight occur are always within people. Don't think for a minute that they go away. You know, we have this beautiful feeling among ourselves. This is one of the great illusions of mankind. And it is that he is a perfectible creature like, say, a, a, a portable typewriter can be perfected, that next year's model is better than last year's model, that somehow all we've got to do is get a book that says how to clear up the problem, uh, how, to fix, how to fix your conscience, uh, how, to make, how to make your mind work correctly, and we'll be all right, that we are perfectible, just like an animal, we are, or not like an animal at all, like, like, a, like a machine, and we are not at all, as, as history has proven. That every, every five minutes another war breaks out. And this has gone on for as long as there has been recordable history. And it always goes on wherever two people get in the way, one with the other. And it's a very pleasurable thing for them. When some guys, some guys talk about a fight they had for 15 years. And that's the only moment that they ever talk about is the fight they had. Other guys who were in the war talk about the war for the rest of their lives. It was the only thing that happened that was important to them. And it goes on and on and on and on this way. And these two guys are in that cab, and I'm saying, obviously, when they first got in there, it was like the truce has been declared. I mean, peace suddenly has come over the world. And the two of them are now sitting in the same cab, only because the cab driver wanted this guy's money, and this guy wanted the cab driver's cab. 
And so the two of them were going along. It's just like immediately after the war, the Japanese loved us because they needed us. <laughs> we were riding in the same cab. And uh, it was okay as long as, as, long as uh, there were no other cabs around, you know. And, and uh, this, I just wonder about what's going on, for example, down in Cuba now. Uh, this this is another example of it. And it goes goes back and forth, back and forth. Uh, I, I can remember endless. Oh, who knows? You know, it, it'll 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 always twist and turn. Are you aware of the fact that there is a Nirvana Street in Great Neck, Long Island? Uh, speaking of of Nirvana, we have with us Lufthansa, and if you're planning to fly the coupe, we would like to recommend that you fly it via Lufthansa. Uh, Lufthansa Airlines goes direct to Central or Middle Europa, and uh, unfortunately, I don't think you'll be able to get a get a ticket on one of the planes. Uh, I was talking to one of the boys over at Lufthansa, and he says they're pretty well booked up all the way through the summer. This is blue, come out of the sun. Uh, I, I'll never forget the uh, the cartoon. Beautiful. Speaking of cartoons, uh, there is something that is beginning to sneak around in our land and that is that the very young are showing a uh, almost a frightening political awareness now I'm not talking about a political knowledge that's not the same thing I'm speaking of political awareness do not confuse the two they are very much aware of politics and did you see Whitney Darrow Jr.'s cartoon in uh, in the New Yorker the past week it shows a breakfast scene, obviously in Westport or someplace, a typical uh, scene out there. And the two of them, uh, the, the, the father and the mother, are sitting opposite each other at breakfast. And there's two little kids. There's a little daughter and there's a son. The son looks like he's about ten, see. And the father is looking at the son with a look of vague irritation and amusement on his face. He's got the New York Times propped up before him. And the kid is sitting there with that, with, with, a, with a kind of, with a kind of aggressive smirk on his face. And the father says to him, Just what makes you think that Nixon hasn't got a chance? <laughs> and let me tell you, I'll, I'll, put, I'll put $4 right down here on this desk that the kid knows more about it than the old man. And I can tell you this by the letters that I get, that more 16 and 17-year-olders know more about the the whole the whole philosophy the fumbling the the good parts the bad parts incidentally I'll tell you one of the things that bothers me about the so-called the so-called sick comic school of humor is that it goes back to an old Western concept of good and bad all good and all bad that that Mort Saul could never admit there might be something good about Ike or he would be dead uh, he could never admit that there was something bad about the hero side. You see, whereas as a matter of the actual fact, there is no such thing as a... There isn't even a remote good or bad. There is not even, <laughs> there is not even the approach to a good or bad in, in the solidity form. That the billion shades of gray in between are the only things that actually work. And that's the problem about it. You see, the thing that, 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 that bothers me very much. But, but deep down in the soul of many a 16-year-old beats the heart of a kid with political awareness. And I can tell you this, I, I, what frightens me, not frightens me, but amuses me and at the same time amazes me, is that I know that when I was 16, I, I had very little political awareness, very little at all. The only thing I knew was that, you know, was that my old man was going to vote Democrat. 
And I didn't know what a Democrat was one way or the other. I just accepted it was good, but my old man was going to vote it. Uh, on, the, on the other hand, my mother was a Republican. And the two used to have fantastic arguments, just like when I was a kid, my mother started out by being a Cub fan, and my father was a White Sox fan. One was from the South Side, one was from the North Side. The North Side was Republican and Cubs. The South Side was the White Sox and the Democrats. And they were all apart, you see, the whole thing. And that's all I knew about it. I didn't know of, of, of any of the rest of it. But I can see it, it was slowly beginning to develop. And, and uh, it, it, I don't know what, what the next five or six years are going to bring. And I can tell you this, whatever they bring, there are going to be vast surprises in store for a lot of people. Uh, tremendous surprises. You don't go back in history. You know, the great illusion that many people feel is, the, the, the not illusion, it's a kind of a dream thing, is that everybody who is behaving a certain way that seems to be uh, not explainable to them are in the end going to come around and live the way they live because that's the right way. That there are many adult people who are making the great mistake that, uh, that, that says, quote, that the beats one day are all going to cut this jazz out. It's just that they're immature. They're all going to come back and live in Westport, which is what they want anyway. I say no. I say no indeed. Uh, I also say that, that once a, a person has tasted of this, this uh, sickly sweet elixir of life, you cannot go back to living in a straight line and living by the time payment plan. You just can't do it. You cannot, you cannot, you really can't go back and bind your life with privet hedges cut in the shapes of Santa Claus. <laughs> you just can't do it. And so these two guys are riding along, going east, fist fighting it out. You know, speaking of, of uh, fist fights, well, I, I, I have a feeling that it would be, it would be, uh, did you read that little article? Uh, speaking of fistfights and what the true nature of man is, did you read the little article that came out? I think it was in, of all things, uh, well, it, it was a, I believe it was a UPI release, and I picked it up in a New Jersey newspaper, and it was one of the saddest and at the same time one of the most uh, touching kind of kind of articles. It's it's in a sense, it it again, it's a capsule. It's a capsule of all the history of man, that, that we have a feeling that anything that went before us was both at the same time admirable and sadly lacking. You know, pe people will laugh at pictures of people walking down the street in a 1905 setting. This seems funny to them. These people haven't been civilized. They haven't made it yet, you see. That, that, <laughs> oh, isn't that funny? <laughs> They'll laugh. At the same time, there's a kind of nostalgia for it. But it's always a little condescension towards the past. That a man who lived in the year, let's say, 422, obviously wasn't as hip as a guy who lives in the year 1960. He hadn't broken through yet. We always have the illusion that we have broken through, you see. That we are living in the modern time. Man has arrived. Well, of course, in 1995, they will be looking back to 1960 as the archaic day. It just has to be that way. Listen to this little item. This, this kind of puts it all, and it's, it's sad, it's, it's, it's funny, it's all the rest of it. It's all of us. It comes from England, from, of all places, Stonehenge. You know where is it Stonehenge? And you know what is it Stonehenge is about? Do you know of the Druids? I would suggest you look up the word Druid. 
and Stonehenge. It was the first day of summer, and the Druids kept looking at their wristwatches, hoping the sun would come up like thunder at 4.42 a.m. It didn't. It was just a pale gray blur through the early morning mist that covered the antics of the 2,000 spectators who frolicked and necked in the grass and hollered at the Druids. The eleven Druids marched solemnly through their ancient ceremony before the age-old stones of Stonehenge and blew their historic five-foot horn. They chanted their chants, but no sun. The more athletic of the spectators made their way to the top of the house-high circle of stones that form a spectacular ruin whose origin is lost in ancient history. You should not be up there, said the chief druid, Dr. Robert McGregor Reed, his bearded male and lipstickless females of the revived order of ancient druids nodded in solemn agreement. The crowd laughed and some turned up their portable radios louder so that they could hear the Floyd Patterson, Ingemar Johansson fight better. Many in the crowd were equipped with portable radios just for the occasion. This is wretched, McGregor Reed said. I have never seen Stonehenge so badly treated. Isn't that sad? The last of the Druids come to celebrate their ancient, serious, solemn, religious rites. Remember, that's religious. And millions of, whether you believe it or not, it is. And millions of people sitting up, thousands of them, necking in the grass, eating good humor bars, listening to portable radios and hooting at them as they go through their poor, sad rites. I can see it now, 2,000 years from now, when the last of our churches has crumbled into ruins and there's much evidence to prove that they are. And I mean in the real sense. I'm not talking about in the sense of, of there is more action today. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> oh, no. Two thousand years from now, when the last, of the, the last of, the, of the great Christian religionists go into, their, go into their poor churches and thousands of people stand around with their portable television sets watching the latest takeoff, Flight from Mars and cheer and hoot and holler and eat their electronic good humor bars as they watch. It's much, you know, it's, it's a, you should grab a hold of it like an old softball and you can throw it fast underhanded swish. Yes, time and tide, O e pluribus unum in hoc agricula conc in est spittle lauk. <laughs> time, O passeth in thy wounding, wounding, tearing way. Pause but a moment and weep o'er me. So quoth, so speaks the tiny man. And <coughs> sit up straight out there, will you? <laughs> I could see somebody sitting in the beach there, in, in uh, Jones, Jones Beach, you know, he's lying there on his, on his cot, and the, and the sun is looking weakly down. Oh, incidentally, this is another form of druidism, I might point out, this great, this great drive towards outdoor living, the alfresco life that we're driving toward. Just another form of it. Hey, listen, speaking of this, uh, there is no question but what we are a tiny, tiny, tiny embattled minority here. There's no question about it that 97.999% of all portable radios tuned in today, all automobile radios tuned in, 
are either listening to the beginnings of a ball game or they're listening to the sound of rock and roll or they're listening to somebody playing a Bach quartet. Uh, <laughs> hardly anyone is listening to the mind of man in all of its inanity, all of its silliness, all of its idiocy, all of its trappedness, all of its wonder, all of its glory, all of its poor, sad pitchedness into the dark sea of oblivion. Hardly anyone. I'll tell you what. Let's do. Let's do something right now. I, I've been I've been saving up for this. We are. This is now July third. Tomorrow is the big day. You see, is the third or the fourth? This is the second. All right. This is the fourth of July weekend. Nevertheless, it's all one big package. It's a, it's a single ball of wax, and 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 all of the city has moved out. There are just a few of us trapped here in town. Not trapped at all, but because we want to be. I want to be here during this during this fiasco. And and those of you out there, way out there in the darkness, you feel just no matter how how big the beach is, no matter how how clean and windswept the beach houses are, no matter how windswept and eroded the chicks are in their new Lastex bathing suits, the point is that we still have this sensation of 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 fighting against the inevitable. There's no question about it. We are being inundated by a wave of creeping meatballism. The, 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 believe me, the size of which the world will never comprehend. It's creeping in on all sides. <laughs> Have you read the latest editorials about Castro? Have you seen it? It's breaking out on all sides, everywhere you go. Who wants to drop by and shoot around the Gulf in the middle of it all? But it's slowly beginning to edge up. Now, Now, I would like to do this. I want everybody. Let's let's somehow. Let's. We've got to make. We've got to make contact. If but for a moment. I, I don't mean real contact because real contact, in a way, always proves to be disappointing. I would like to suggest that wherever you are, wherever you are now, if you're on a beach, no matter where you are, if you're on a beach and you're listening to a portable radio, no matter where you are, if you're riding in a car, no matter where you are. Take a white handkerchief or a white towel and wave it in the air. Just just get up and wave it in the air, you know. And signal down the beach to the guy. You'll see another guy four miles down. Wave, and you'll know that he's with you. Wave it in the air. One, wave it out of your car. Just, just get up and do it now, now. And all the people in between, all the meatballs will wonder just where of and where if it goes. Be the first in your neighborhood. <clears throat> W-O-R Radio, your station for you. <laughs> Here's one minute of quiet jazz with the compliments of Schaefer Beer. Bring home for the holidays. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? I'm James McCarthy, ready with up-to-the-minute reports from all over the world. Now the news. Well, America, after almost a full week without taking a vacation, President Eisenhower took advantage of a break in the weather today and played golf, while the Congress decided on the alternative, work. Plowing into a heavy schedule, the Senate, as well as the House, dug in its heels into what promised to be the last long and continuous session before recessing for the political conventions. The key measure facing consideration in both houses before they take a five- or six-week convention break is the bill to give Ike authority to crack down on Fidel Castro by cutting sugar imports from Cuba. There's a side note to this story. Before the Senate session began, Democratic leader Lyndon Johnson warned his fellow legislators to be prepared for one of the busiest and longest days of the congressional year. How late? at least until the wee hours of the morning. More news in a moment.
Reach for your partner. Swing to the right. When the music stops, give her a light. L&M has found a secret that unlocks the flavor. Unlocks the flavor. Unlocks the flavor. L&M has found a secret that unlocks the flavor. Enough filter cigarettes. In today's L&M, fine tobaccos can be blended. Blended, blended, blended. Not to suit a filter, but to suit your taste. So through the miracle tip, pure white inside, pure white outside, you get taste, more taste, more taste by far. L&M has found the secret that unlocks the flavor. cigarette. Reach for flavor. Reach for L&M. The British Lion seems to be taking the glamour away from Uncle Sam's eagle today as the British Foreign Office decides it's time for somebody to take a stand against the bearded bad boy of the Caribbean. Definite retaliation against the Cuban government for the confiscation of the Anglo-Dutch Shell oil refinery in Havana was the order of the day. But they'd better make their move quick, according to our latest reports, as heard now from Robert Perez in Havana. There are increasing rumors in Havana that the Cuban government may sign a military defense treaty with the Soviet Union. This rumor is not believed too unlikely by veteran observers who point out that such attacks may give revolutionary leaders the needed moral support in their campaign to break American prestige in the hemisphere. Further, it is reminded that these same leaders have been grooming the people for an invasion by the United States ever since coming to power 18 months ago. But the pact could be signed by any of several persons, including Raul Castro, presently touring behind the Iron Curtain. Or it could be signed by Fidel Castro himself when he visits Moscow in the near future. This is Robert Perez in Havana. And now back to James McCarthy in Washington. In other news, a vast air-sea search is underway for that American reconnaissance plane missing on a photographic flight near Soviet territory. Air Force officials in Germany have issued the rather roundabout statement that it's highly unlikely that the plane entered the Soviet Union. Then they quickly added, of course, anything can happen. The plane's last reported position was at a point between Norway's Pittsburgh Island and Russia's Kola Peninsula, which juts into the Arctic Ocean. All shipping in the area has been alerted to be on the lookout for six men, possibly floating in a dinghy. That's the news. James McCarthy reporting. Look high, look low. Only Pepsi. Here's one minute of quiet jazz with the compliments of Schaefer Beer. I wish you had one of those voices. It's... Hello, hello. There we go. Jim, just set that back. Hello, hello. Just set it back there for a second. Just just where he's talking there. Now hold it there. Just the guy, yeah, just just the man. Hold it. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, stop it, hold it, hold it. Now just just put your hand on it. There you go. Now listen. Where do they breed these guys who have these voices that sound like their caro syrup being poured out of a bucket in mid-January? Rich and deep. 
Can't, can't you just see some guy knocks at the door, you know, and he's, he's, and you open the door and you say, why, Charlie, it's certainly good to see you. Schaefer keeps coming on. Get all the pleasure of the first beer, every beer through. You, wouldn't you have a little, don't you, don't you feel a little, a little afraid of these human pipe organs? I think, speaking of human pipe organs, how long has it been since you've heard Del Charbot? What 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 announcer do you know? Think of it. It's no wonder a whole generation of people grew up feeling vaguely inferior to the guys whose voices came out of the loudspeakers all over the nation. Westbrook Van Vores, uh, Del Charbot. Who, who was the guy who used to go? Mm, good. <laughs> Do you remember who did that? You offhand remember? Mmm, good. He used to just make a deep, rich, it was a vox humana, a vibrant human tone that somehow was tapped right down to the very, to the very root core of the earth itself. Mmm, good. Do you remember that? I'll see what kind of an American you are. You know, there are millions of little American things. Don't worry about the crayons. That's, that's nothing to worry about. There are millions of little American things which only an American knows. When I was in Holland, I found that the Dutch uh, had about 500 little things that they would use to detect underground German agents had come in from Germany who were not Dutch, but who were pretending to be Dutch, who were living the life of Dutch. And they had all kinds of little things. They, they, uh, little, little references they would make, and suddenly a guy would, a guy would, would, would tick himself off. You, you could spot immediately what, what he was, and he would quietly disappear one night and be found in a ditch, just because of that one slip. Now I'll, I'll, I'll give you an American proof. There are millions. If I were to try to detect an American, I wouldn't ask him things about history, because Americans don't know history. I would not say to him, uh, who is the general on the British side at Bunker Hill? Because 90% of them wouldn't know. If I were to say to you, who wrote the Leatherstocking Tales? Most people wouldn't know. But if I, if I was to come up to you and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see whether you're a real American, a real American, uh, what commercial was this from? Mmm, good. Huh? Which, what commercial was that from? I'd say, come on now, come on. Let me, let me hear, let me hear that. And, and uh, to the first, to the first solitary plotter along the yellow brick American road towards the Emerald City of Nirvana, who can identify what commercial that was from, we will give thee a garland of roses and the brass figligy with bronze oak leaf palm for rising above the vast sea of mediocrity that surrounds all of us. Mmm, good. Who, who, what, what commercial was that from? We'll put you on your American medal. What? Oh, no. No, no. That's right. The one that you're hearing today is a, is a pale imitation of it. I mean, this was done... Yeah, that's right. Not a single soul out there. What kind of Americans are you? Mmm, good. <laughs> and it was given... I, I, I'm not sure whether it was given by... Ernest Chappell, who was a tremendous announcer and still is, of course, or or Del Charbot, and these uh, these commercials were delivered in such a way that tiny loudspeaker cones rattled for 15 minutes after the delivery, 
all over the United States. I can see many a little old, a little old kitchen radio just that speaker cone rattling when the guy would go. Good. Uh, did anyone, did, 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 did the listener identify it? There you go. There's an American out there. Put her there, buddy. We'll have our own convention of real, of red-blooded, 100% Americans, as opposed to those watery-blooded Americans, you know, the kind, not red-blooded at all. Not sure what color their blood is, but I have ideas. <laughs> Good. I have a paper here, Chairman. Point of order, point... No, I'll put you on your metal. Speaking of metal, it's interesting that one person called in. I guess I'm the only one lost in... Hey, another thing. Did anybody call in? Please, get in touch with us. If, if, you waved a, if you waved a towel or a handkerchief and you saw anybody else waving it, I would like to hear an account of it. And, and please get it in soon so we can put it on the air. Did anybody wave a towel? And I want, I want the straight story here. Did anyone here wave a towel in solitary, solitary isolation out there on the beach and see way down, way down the beach somewhere, somebody else waving a towel? I would love to see this crowd get together and form a human pyramid just outside the beach house without saying a word to one another. 7,000 people tall. Life magazine would descend on it. Time magazine would give it cover space and not one of us would say a word. Five, six, eight thousand people tall. The greatest human edifice, the greatest monument to humanity ever created. Towel wavers silently gathering on the beach in front of beach house number three, one upon each other's shoulders until finally stretching, reaching, veritably touching the eternal clouds and skies of all dreams. <coughs> Good. Druids pray to the sun while the crowd necks. Speaking of that, speaking of necking, I don't know whether or not this term was ever used in the eastern area. I must admit, I'm a foreigner here. I mean, I'm really a foreigner. I'm from out of this area. Let's face it. I'm, I'm not a real American. I'm from the Middle West. And uh, there was an expression. Uh, I'll never forget it. I, I'm, I'm coming into the kitchen one day, and my, my mother is standing there next to the sink in her orange rum-sprung chenille bathrobe with the dried egg on the lapel. And she's standing there, and she's working the old Brillo pad, and the sink is making that funny noise. And she's looking out over the eternal backyards, the alleys, and the garages of all eternity. And she's standing there, and I came in home from school, and it's just getting out to twilight, you know, that kind of soft purple, yellowish, greenish, kind of grayish, hazy twilight. And I have just come in, and I've, I've worked up a fairly decent sweat, and I throw my fielder's mitt down under the under the kitchen table, and I slide in and start pitching into my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I'm sitting there, and and uh, my mother's looking out. She just stands there looking out. And I'm, I'm just sitting there eating, and it's one of those quiet moments when nobody has to say anything to anybody, you know? One of those living moments. One of those just being moments, those existing moments. And I'm chewing away at the peanut butter and the jelly. Incidentally, wouldn't you like to see a, a cookbook that had nothing but that kind of recipe in it? Peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Uh, <laughs> hot dogs. 
uh, things, the, the little trivial food that most of us really grew up on, that people really live on. Hey, did anybody see anybody else waving a towel? Not a single... Uh, it's quite obvious that there were no towel wavers out there. Come on, get up on your feet and wave that towel, man. Let them know that you're here. The point being, of course, is that we wish somehow we want to we want to make the rest of the crowd feel that they are somehow that there is something that they do not understand you know the trouble with the trouble with the baseball rock and roll tv crowd is that they honestly feel that they have their world they have their world completely mapped out which they don't of course and if if one man quietly stands up on his on his beach towel takes his, his drying towel and waves it in the air down the beach, and way down the beach somebody else gets up and waves his, and then all up and down the beach one or two guys get up one after the other and wave towels, there would be a profound unrest started. Or if somebody stuck his hand out the side of the car, waved a, waved a handkerchief, and three cars wave, you mean there's somebody out there has has saw a towel wave? Oh, for crying out loud, let's get him out of the phone here. Oh. Yeah, Hello. Yes. Shepherd here. Yes, Wolf. Stanford, Connecticut? You pulled off on the pay booth. You're, you're calling from the turnpike? Yes. The Merritt Parkway. Fifty-five cents worth. Yes, sir. What happened? Yeah. A Connecticut state trooper stopped you because you were waving your, your, your handkerchief out the window? What? <laughs> he said, this is a distress signal in Connecticut. Didn't you tell him it was a distress signal to you, too? <laughs> that is significant, let me tell you. <laughs> you just sat there with egg on your face. You told him you had a wet handkerchief. <laughs> just keep your mouth shut. Remember, he he represents just by almost by definition the other side. You understand that, don't you? Oh, I'm sorry, Wolf. Hey, you know, I'll tell you about that same thing in in relationship to the other side. If you got a couple of seconds, I won't run your bill up any more than I have to. Uh, I, a sad thing happened the other night. There were three Italian street singers who were not cadging alms, but who were singing beautifully and softly just off of Washington Square down in the village, lending a little bit of color to our otherwise profoundly colorless city. And people were really enjoying it. They were just singing, you know, and, and very, very well. I heard them. They were beautiful. When suddenly a cop came up, pinched all three of them, and marched them off. Mull that over. You were let off with a warning. No handkerchief waving on, on Saturday. <laughs> Good luck, man. Right on. Bye-bye. Oh, what a story. Did you hear that? A guy way out on Merritt Parkway waved his handkerchief in the air and got stopped by a cop. We are living in parlous times, let me tell you. Yeah, isn't that sad? Nobody can move anymore. Speaking of idiotic moments, did you read that little item in the paper about this councilman? Who shall go unnamed? I will not name it. This is for you, Ted. Listen to this. Yes, sir. Did you read that item in the paper about the councilman who 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 has a car that's 21 feet long? 
It's a gigantic, it's a gigantic finned monster, see, 20, a 21-foot-long car. So he drives around, and he, he, he tries three different garages, and three different garages turn him, turn him away. They say, no, we don't have enough room for that, that monster, that Zeppelin you're driving. Three different, yeah, this is 21 feet long, 20. and 80, 80 inches wide. It's a fantastic giant. So he's driving around, and finally, after the third garage turns him away, which I thank heavens they did, he goes, he goes back to City Hall and passes a law immediately, making it illegal to turn away a car no matter what size it is. Do you realize some clown can now build a car the size of the Queen Mary? And they're going to have to... As a matter of fact, he should have gone back to the City Hall and passed a law against cars that size. These are the things that are causing the trouble. <laughs> you, you, you take three 20-foot cars and you've got 60 feet of floor space already covered up. Do you realize how many 20-foot-long automobiles it takes to make a fantastic traffic jam that runs from Yonkers all the way to Staten Island? About five, Councilman. You passed the wrong law. <laughs> how would you like to get teed off and go back to the office and pass a law? I mean, what a, what a feeling of power. What a feeling of, of fantastic, insane, speaking of fantastic, insane power... This is WOR Radio, your station for news, and listen to the critics rave about Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Hitchcock has done it again, the Daily News. A real chiller thriller, General American. A first-rate thriller, the Q Magazine. Keep your attention like a snake charmer, the Herald Tribune. Stand your hair on end, the New York Post. Remember, no one is admitted after the beginning of Psycho. It's at the DeMille and Baronet Theatres. See your newspaper for showtime. You're tuned to WOR, AM and FM in New York. Here once again is Gene Shepard. Sunoco, Sunoco, 200X gives you premium ingredients at regular price. 200X gives you premium ingredients at regular price. 200X gives you premium ingredients at regular price. Sunoco, Sunoco. New Sunoco blend 200X, a new gasoline. Gives you the ingredients of a high-priced premium, yet you pay only regular price. Many cars get extra power. Up to 13% more power after just two tankfuls. 200X gives you premium ingredients at regular price. New Sunoco 200X gives extra mileage. Up to 19 more miles per tankful. 200X gives you premium ingredients at regular price. New Sunoco 200X gives you extra engine protection. Can mean longer life for your car. Yes, new Sunoco blend 200X gives you extra power, extra mileage, extra engine protection. 200X gives you premium ingredients. Two hundred X exceptional. <laughs> hey, I'll I'll tell you another thing. I'm going. I've just got to test you as an American today. I just feel this terrible sense of that there are few genuine Americans left. I've got to test you as an American. I will award the brass figliggy with aluminum palm leaf because after all, this is this is much easier. This is not much of an Americana test at all. Listen to this. Can you identify this tune? Can you identify that tune? Now listen. Now don't don't look away.
right? Can you identify that tune? Don't come around here and put your crummy old rotten hand in mine and tell me you're an American. <laughs> and if you can give me the first, give me the first, uh, just the first sentence out of the, out of the verse or the chorus, the opening lines there, you'll have it. I mean, you know, it's only in America can, can a, can a cemetery advertise itself this way. Uh, Pine Lawn Memorial Park is designed for the living. <laughs> Visits to Pine Lawn are pleasant. Oh, which way do we go? How do we go? I mean, where, where? Tell me, tell me, just lead me. Help, help. Speaking of help, if you're going to make the, uh, if you're going to make the village scene, listen, I have a, a real thing for you. The other night, I was down at the paper book gallery, and uh, I dropped in just to nose around. And whenever I do, uh, I don't know whether you're like me, but one of the terrible curses I have whenever I get into a place like the paper book gallery is that I, I rarely can get out without spending all the available change on me and a lot of change that is not available that I had earmarked for other things later in the week, like, say, rent. Uh, it's a funny thing. I'm standing out in front of the the paper book gallery last last week. Oh, maybe it was it was exactly one week ago, uh, Saturday night. This one week ago tonight, and it was about eleven o'clock at night, which is the time I always go down to the gallery, and, and incidentally, the time I will go down there again tonight because it's just a thing I, I I like to do. It's it's a kind of a cool, relaxing thing. And I'm standing out in front. Everybody is down in the pit there in front of the paper book gallery playing Skittles. Uh, you, you've heard the term beer and Skittles. Well, the paper book gallery is, well, it's the only place I know of. Obviously, it must be played in other places in New York. But it's the only place I know of where there is an outdoor Skittle game available for anybody who wants to play. And there's always about... 50 guys standing around playing Skittles in front of the gallery. It's just a place to be, you know, and girls and elderly ladies. It was, it was great to see an old old chick who must have been 74 years old whacking them off playing Skittles. The Skittles is largely a game of luck. In fact, almost completely a game of luck. And this old gal was having a run of luck. Uh, she had made 27 straight passes in Skittles. And here she was, 74 years old, probably having the peak day of her entire life. Little did she realize that it would happen at 74. And she's down there swinging, and 150 guys are cheering her on outside in front of the paper book gallery at 1 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but, but it's this kind of place. But anyway, uh, I'm standing in front of the gallery, and a kid comes up to me, and he's a listener. And he's got, uh, he's got a big bag full of books, and he's got this chick with him, and they had just come over from Brooklyn. And she's got kind of a vaguely peeved look on her face. And he looks sheepish, vaguely apologetic. He says, hi, Shepard. I said, hi. And then the chick gives me a hard look. I said, what's bugging you, baby? And then the guy says to me, well, well every, every Saturday night we, we go on a date, and I, 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 I bring her over here before we go out. And he said, we wind up spending two hours here, and, and, and I spent... Well, I spent six dollars here tonight, and and all we got now is money for a hamburger and and car fare back to Brooklyn, and we're not going to a show. And you can see the chick is teed off, and this kid's got a bag of Schopenhauer, Kierkegaard, <laughs> and a few others. 
And I, 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 we talked about it for, and I said, you know, you could, uh, I can think of no better way to, to squander your money or to debauch yourself than to do it in the paper book gallery. I mean, I don't know how you can put a price on some of these things, but nevertheless, I was down in the gallery here last week, and I picked up a, a, well, it's not a copy really, it's a, it's a boxed set of four volumes of something that for a couple of years now, I have been wanting to get, and I had no idea it was in paper book. Uh, have you have you heard of this fantastic series of volumes called The World of Mathematics? Of course, everyone's heard about it. Uh, they came boxed, uh, $25 a set. You know the thing that was a bestseller? There were 102,000. I was talking to Marty the other day about it. He said there were over 102,000 sets sold at $25 a set. And it has just come out in paper book, boxed, and makes a tremendous gift. Really, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, to me this is one, one thing that I've wanted this thing for a long time, and I saw it on the shelves down at the paper book gallery, and I had no idea that they were that they were out in paper book, all in the neat little box, all four volumes, and complete. There's no nothing been cut and beautifully done, beautifully bound. And I said to Marty, I says, you, why didn't you know why 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 isn't this the talk out? He says, well, it hasn't been published yet. This is a pre-publication test of the world of mathematics in paper book. Now, this is the same thing that cost $25. And when it comes out as a regular publication, which will be in a couple of months, something like six to eight weeks, it will cost $3 more than they're charging for it now down in the paper book gallery. It was kind of a test to see whether people would buy it in paper book. And he said they sold over 100 sets in two days. They have just 75 sets. I called them last night about it. They have just 75 sets left. Plunk. And that's it. Until it comes out as a regular publication thing, it will cost more. But it is a it is a wonderful thing to have. And uh, if you're going down to the paper book gallery, you better pick it up fast. Because even if it's it, it, just to, to pick up a, a pre-season Christmas gift, this is it. It's the world of mathematics. And it's it's great reading, really. Uh, you don't have to, you know, it's one of those things you don't have to talk about. It's interesting, a guy spent, the man who did this, a man by the name of Newhall, uh, spent, oh, uh, Newman, right, that was, that's his name, Newman, spent uh, something like 10 or 12 years putting this thing together as, as a scholarly work. He had no idea that it would turn out to be a bestseller. You know the story of it? They quietly put this thing on the market a couple of years ago, and it became a top non-fiction bestseller, and, and established, well, it established publishing history. Nothing had ever happened like this before at 25 bucks a set. And, of course, now it's out in paper book, and there will be thousands more sold, but they'll all be sold at, at a higher price than they're selling it down in the gallery. It comes in a beautiful little box, all four volumes, and, and is really worth having. It is truly worth having. It's one of the, one of the things that... You can't, you just can't stop once you read because it, mathematics is in many ways a history of the human race. Well, all the abstractions that we have developed, whether they be theology, whether they be philosophy or mathematics, all these things which are part of the mind, the world of the mind of man, represent in the most profound way the true history of mankind. And I think this is the reason for the, the great fascination that this series of volumes has for people once they pick it up and start reading it. But this is the world of mathematics, and if you're going down to the, the gallery, 
this weekend. Be sure to look at them because they won't be there more than a couple of days. And by the way, there are two paper book galleries, one on Sheridan Square. Uh, this is the one I usually go down to with the, with the Skittles and all. It's on Sheridan Square right across from Nick's, directly Catty Corner or Kitty Corner across from Nick's over on the uh, west side of Sheridan Square. And uh, just where 10th Street hits 7th Avenue South. And they're open until 2 o'clock this morning. So if you're looking for a place to go after the theater, and it'll be it'll be comparatively peaceful tonight because most of the New Yorkers are out of town. And you'll also find another paper book gallery over on 3rd Street. And uh, incidentally, that gallery is just two doors away from what I consider to be one of the really fine restaurants in New York, and that's Ying and Yang. Uh, I took a couple of Oriental food experts down there a couple of days ago, and both of them agreed that it's, it's one of the better Oriental restaurants in America. As a matter of fact, uh, Gourmet Magazine, uh, in a review a few months back, pointed this restaurant out as one of the five best Oriental restaurants in the United States. It's Ying and Yang, which is at 82 West 3rd Street, and they are open until 1 o'clock this morning, and it's almost impossible to find a good restaurant in New York open over the 4th of July weekend. Well, Ying and Yang is, they will open at noon tomorrow on Sunday, and they will be open until 10 or 11 o'clock Sunday night. They're open seven days a week. They open at noon, and they remain open usually till around 1 or 2 in the morning. They close an hour or so earlier on Sunday. Uh, this is Ying and Yang. Oh, hey, listen. Uh, it's at 82 West 3rd Street, and, and, and wear a coat when you go down there. And another thing, too, they have a good bar there. Hey, I, I was going to say something before I say anything else. Maybe some of you remember about two years ago, I took a trip to Lebanon with a movie company to make a movie about the Lebanese landings that occurred in the Navy and so on, that the, uh, the whole situation of the Middle East. That if any of you are interested, does anyone have a TV guide with them? Uh, well, my little movie will be on television on NBC tomorrow around 5 or 5.30. Um, I, I'm not sure. If, if anybody has a TV guide, please look it up. Uh, the name of the movie is Summer Incident. Uh, I, I narrated the movie and was uh, instrumental in writing it along with Louis de Rochemont. It's a Louis de Rochemont production, and I, I'm very proud of this little movie. So if you're interested... It is on tomorrow, on well, July 3rd, on NBC. Uh, it's called Summer Incident, and it's a half-hour film, and it is about the Navy in the Mediterranean, the Sixth Fleet. But that's neither here nor there. It's funny, not a single one. Hmm, good. Hmm, good. <laughs> While we're on the subject of the good, the good and the, the quick and the halt, well, you, you you can, you know, sometimes, and then you can't. I'm I'm walking in and I'm sitting down and I'm eating the sandwich and it was one of those one of those living days, you know, one of those existing moments. And and I I must finish the story because it it has some bearing on the now. I'm sitting there, and my mother is looking out over the over the yards and over the world, over the eternal alleys and the eternal garages of all man's existence and just standing there looking off into the twilight and uh, I'm sitting there knocking down my peanut butter and jelly sandwich and my fielder's mitt is at my feet when all of a sudden my mother turns kind of halfway you see and looks over into a dark corner back of the stove and she says 
I'm getting to be an awful rubberneck. I said, what, Ma? She said, I'm getting to be an awful rubberneck. I said, what do you mean, Ma? She said, I just stand here and I'm just getting to be a rubberneck, that's all. And I had no answer. And she turned down the hot water and went back to the pots and began to work that old Brillo pad. And, and I remember the term. I remember my mother said she was a rubberneck. She was an observer of life. And, and she, she just was a looker. A looker. She's looking out over that window. She said, I'm getting to be an awful rubberneck. And, and I, I, I am beginning to come uh, around to the conclusion that I come by my rubberneck proclivities honestly. I am a rubberneck. I am a looker. Is there is there anybody out there, Jim? Did they use that expression here in the East, a rubberneck? You mean this is an everywhere expression? Oh, come on now, a rubberneck? That's a beautiful expression. I mean, I can't think of a more descriptive expression to describe the act of just looking, rubberneck. You realize what that means, rubberneck? His old neck is just going around. His rubber, he's just bouncing around and looking. A rubberneck. It's too bad they didn't use it here in the East. Maybe too bad, in a way. But, but if, if, you, if you let go of those paddles, you know, sometimes it's going, to, it's, going to, it's going to lash back at you. Like today, I'm sitting in a bus. Now, I don't know whether you're a bus fan, but I love to ride buses. I... <laughs> yeah, they used to have rubberneck buses. I wish we had double-deck buses here now in New York. I remember one time when I was, I was, the very first time I was in New York, the very, very first time I was a kid, I was just a kid, and of course, one of the things that everybody heard about out in the Midwest was the double-deck buses that they had in New York, the double-deck buses, and yeah, the, I, I still say, I still say that we have lost a great deal of color, we have lost a great deal of the joy of living by I don't know what it is we've done, and I'm not, really, this is not a program devoted to nostalgia, and I am not an old man sitting around saying, wasn't it great? No, I don't say that. But I say that we, we forget about things sometimes that, that, are, that are good. We have lost good things. We, of course, have invented others that are good, too. We have, we've, there's no time, really, that's better than any time. But some of the, better than other times, I should have said. But some of these things I, I would like to see kept a little bit. Like, for example, a bus that has the top down, you know, the, uh, the, the rubberneck bus. And I'm a kid, and I remember riding along, riding up Fifth Avenue with my old man sitting on one side, my mother in the seat behind me, and sitting next to her as my brother and, and this son. And we're riding up Fifth Avenue. I could imagine nothing more pleasant than that. It would make the most gigantic traffic jam fun, believe me. Do you know that in Cincinnati... Just a few years ago, when I was in Cincinnati, this was in 1952 and 53. I don't know whether they still have it or not, but they have streetcars in Cincinnati, real streetcars that run on tracks. Uh, you know, the real kind. <laughs> this kind of streetcar, you know. And they've got that big aerial that sticks up there and it runs on that electric wire. And at night it makes sparks. And when it's when it's wet and when there's when there's ice on it, it makes great big long blue arc. And when it stops, you know the sound of a streetcar when it stops? And you sit there and the guy has turned the switch off. You know, he's moved the great big old lever over to one side. And the streetcar is waiting for a light. And you're just sitting and all of a sudden it goes... 
underneath your feet. You know that feeling? And then it stops. The compressors are, are putting compression into the air brake chambers. Well, well, in Cincinnati, they had, as recent, I don't know whether they still have it or not. It's not an old-time thing, so I don't think I'm a horse-grown type. Just uh, a couple of years ago when I was there, every summer they would bring out three or four streetcars that were completely convertible, that did not have a top at all, just great big open tubs with wicker seats, and you would get on the streetcar. It's a regular streetcar, you know. You would get on the streetcar, you would pay your 10 cents or 15 cents or whatever it was, and ride all over town on the open streetcar. And they used to call them promenade streetcars. And you just get in and you'd, you'd ride, you know. And, and, the, and the, the sun comes down and the breeze blows across you and the big traffic jam. It doesn't make any difference. You just sit there. People would sit there and they'd, they'd smoke their cigars and they'd look out at the crowds. And it's, it's just like the old... The, the rubberneck buses were also operating in Chicago on, uh, on, on uh, Mission Boulevard. But they were never as... Uh, it seemed that, the, that they were really associated with New York, those big green rubberneck buses. And, <laughs> and I remembered vividly, just completely. And, and it, it's sad to note, but then I'm sitting in a bus. I love riding buses. I must admit it. I, I, I'll take a bus over a cab a thousand times. I just like being in the bus. I like the feeling of, of kind of freedom and everything there is in a bus. Strangely enough, I get a sense of freedom in a bus. And uh, there's no meter ticking. There's no, you know, it's the whole thing. So I'm sitting in the bus just today. And uh, the bus driver is kind of sitting there hunched over his wheel. And there were only two or three people on the bus. And we got to about, oh, I don't know, 48th Street, something like that, on 6th Avenue, 7th Avenue. 7th Avenue, got to about 48th Street. When, when a woman got on, and she says, Ah, oh, sure, and what a pleasure it is to see ye. What a pleasure it is to see ye. <laughs> and she just got on. She, she walks up to the bus driver. She says, Ah, oh, sure, and what a pleasure it is to see ye. And, and the bus driver suddenly beamed all over the place. And he says, Ah, oh, sure, and it's a pleasure to see ye. And he, and he, he, he sat there beaming, and a couple of people laughed in the bus. And this woman, who must have been about 60, obviously her name was Bridget or Sheila or something like that, dropped in her, her, her 15 pence and moved and then sat back in the bus and just sort of settled in, you know, and looked out of the window and the sun was coming out. Ah, sure, and it's a pleasure to see you. <laughs> and I thought, by George, you know, this is, this is the kind of thing, you'd never see this in a cab, you would never see it in a, in a, in a subway. You'd hardly ever see it anywhere else. And every place I go, whenever I travel, when I go to Europe, when I go to... Even when I went to, to Beirut, every place I go, I try like mad to get on the public transportation, particularly the buses. There is nothing like a Roman streetcar, believe me. Uh, <laughs> nothing at all like it. Uh, and and the, the way people act in buses and streetcars is very much an indication of their character. Americans are isolated in buses. Often, they sit quietly. They they they, they don't want to catch each other's eye. They stare straight ahead, and there is a general, a uh, kind of a general sense of don't touch me, don't don't touch me now, uh, 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 don't you touch me. These are Americans. Americans are the least mixing of peoples that I know. In spite of all their togetherness and all their 
hooked-up friendliness. They just don't. They, they distrust one another, and they sit, and they, they keep their eyes from, from meeting. And whenever anybody says something out of the way to somebody else, like, uh, gee, uh, what a great day, they think you're, you're up to something. You know? you're, you're, you're getting ready to, to do something to them. And they kind of look sidelong out of you, out of their eyes at you. And so this is an American in a bus. He's generally a, a very controlled, uh, self-involved individual who will not look at one another. Just to, they just can keep their eyes away. On the other hand, the Germans are an interesting crowd in a bus. You get in a German bus, and uh, the Germans are, are, are vaguely affable in a bus, strangely enough. They are very much together in a bus, and they sit in their, their, their streetcars, particularly in a town like Munich or Frankfurt, are beautiful, just absolutely spick and span, cleaning. Nobody drops any papers on the floor in a German or a Swiss streetcar. They're, 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 they're beautiful, just shiny and all wood and glass and lovely. And they sit there very quietly. And once in a while, the, uh, the conductor will and they, they all leap up and they move quietly back and forth. It's as though if, if he suddenly were to shout, All out now! All out. Every one of you out now! They would all, without question, get out. And just leave. Uh, there is a sense of order in their buses that, uh, in a way, is kind of frightening. But on the other hand, you get into a Roman bus, and there is a constant feeling that you are in the middle of an incipient riot. I mean, it is just about to begin, or you are in the middle of a crowd that has just had a riot, one or the other. Little fat ladies constantly using their elbows, and, and every little fat lady in, in Italy wears black. They all wear black, because somehow, almost by definition, little fat ladies and little thin, stringy ladies are widows in, in, in Italy. And they all wear black, and they all have elbows that have been sharpened to a fine point, and they know how to use them. Stringy, muscular shoulders, and they edge their way back and forth on the buses. They'll come right up to you, pow! They'll give it to you right in the right in the kidney, pow, like that. And then you look at her, and she looks at you, and her big brown liquid eyes are just bubbling over. She's, there's no anger in it, you know. It's just the way it's done. You're supposed to do the same thing. And... <laughs> and, and there's just a constant moiling mass of people all all jammed in together. Guys carrying a... a I, I'm sitting in a Roman bus here the last trip, and it was a guy two seats ahead of me carrying a gigantic stalk of bananas. Right behind him there was a guy with a great big bird cage with two big parrots in the cage. And the whole moiling mass... Once in a while a parrot goes... And the guy with the bananas pulls a banana off and quietly eats it and <laughs> throws the peeling out on the street. <laughs> By George, I'm right home here. I'm, I'm right where the people are living. And there's a real, a genuine sense of the life of all of it. And I had an instantaneous feeling of that this morning when I'm on the bus and that, that Irish lady got in. She says, Ah, sure, what a pleasure it is to see ye. Ah, what a pleasure it is to see ye. <laughs> And the bus driver sort of perked up. He didn't expect this, you know, because there's a constant warfare that goes on between people who serve people in New York and people who are served. And it's a, uh, believe me, there are no quarters given, no holes barred. And this bus driver sort of sat up like that. And for the whole trip, all the way down here to 40th Street, there was this, there was a sense. He stopped at 42nd Street. I don't know, I've never seen this. 
happened in a buzz. It was a sort of a holiday air that immediately started when this old gal made her opening gambit. Ah, what a pleasure it is to see ye. Uh, he stopped at 42nd Street, and this is right in the heart of where, where the fist fights begin with bus drivers and, and people. And some, you know, there's always some clown who stands outside the bus with rimless glasses and begins to ask questions. Uh, how far downtown does this bus go? And he says, well, we go down to 3rd Street and Broadway. Well, is that past uh, Houston Street? Is that right, Mabel? Houston Street? Is that past Houston Street? And the bus driver says, well, now, there's, you, you, there's two short blocks. Uh, you can walk two short blocks. There's a cross-town bus. Well, I, I thought it was a number six that went down there. Well, yes, that's right, but I'm a number so-and-so, and I go to another. And this long, involved explanation will usually bus drivers say, all right, Mac, boom, bang goes the door, and away he goes. Well, this bus driver quietly put his foot out in the aisle and sat there, and, and we talked it over. And two or three passengers got in the act. And one of them says, well, look, you know, it's only a block and a half. And the next thing I knew, the two people got on the bus and just quietly sat there and we went our way. Ah, sure, and it's a pleasure to see. <laughs> so don't give up, I mean, you know. And then on the other hand, did you see the little item? The little item that says, a woman passenger became so incensed yesterday when a Lexington Avenue bus failed to stop at the corner where she wanted to get off that she whipped off one of her shoes and hit the hit the bus driver with it twice, smartly, with a beautiful wrist action. <laughs> you know that that old 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 lady angry sound that that turkey sound. It's a kind of it's a kind of barnyard sound. That I, I have a feeling that as we get older, we get more and more closer and, and more involved with the real barnyard inner that is us. That, that women, when they get older, they become more and more like chickens and turkeys. Men, when they get older, they become more and more like hogs in their own way. And, and you know, a, a kind of lumbering way. And, and until finally, as man reaches a certain stage in his life, he is indistinguishable, indistinguishable from the denizens of the corral. Just sort of mills around. <laughs> and the whole mixture, kind of a great malign. Sure, it is a pleasure to see. It is a pleasure to see. Mm, good. This is WOR Radio, your station for news. A man with drive. A man with drive. 